so that's how genomics is being used now is is essentially uh getting a, a more accurate um, estimate of relationships among individuals which allows us to use these phenotypes uh, much more efficiently much more effectively a whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming soon the brightest minds of the global poultry industry will be right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Poultry Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like, at JBI, we apply biosecurity innovation and expertise to keep your operations safe. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Adiseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high quality, safe, and sustainable ways. DSM, helping customers with efficient and sustainable poultry production. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Hi, welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show. I'm your host, Karen Grogan. And today, uh, we are honored to have with us uh, Dr. Jack Deckers. Jack is the C.F. Curtis Distinguished Professor at the Department of Animal Science at Iowa State University. Welcome, Jack. Thank you. Very, very nice to be here. Excellent. Um, Jack, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and your training and um, sort of what you do in your daily job there at Iowa State? Okay, yeah, happy to do that. Um, so um, you may hear from my accent. Um, I'm not uh, uh, I'm not originally from the U.S. I'm actually from the Netherlands. I, I, I was born in the Netherlands in one of the areas that was reclaimed from the from the uh, from the sea, uh, four meters below sea level. I grew up um, on a mixed dairy crop farm. Uh, we did have also some chickens, uh, so big backyard chickens. Um, and um, I actually, when I was growing up, I wanted to become a veterinarian. And um, in the Netherlands, uh, you go to vet school right out of high school. Um, so I applied to, to vet school, uh, didn't get in, just like here, it's uh, um, limited enrollment. So I didn't get in. So I decided, well, I'll just uh, spend a year in animal science uh, at the Wageningen Agriculture University in the Netherlands. And... Uh, but then when I got there, I really enjoyed it, and so I decided to stay. So I did my uh, bachelor and master's, was sort of combined there in the Netherlands in animal science. Um, as I got through uh, all the animal science courses, I really enjoyed the animal breeding and genetics uh, uh, courses. So I honed in on that, and some, some of my master's projects were in animal breeding and genetics. During my master's, I actually did an internship at the University of Wisconsin in the, the dairy science uh, department, and um, then decided that after my master's, I uh, went back there to for for my PhD. Um, another um, driving force for that was that I met my wife during that my internship. So that was another uh, very good reason to go back. Oh, there's a love story in your background. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So I went back to, uh, to Wisconsin to do my master's and all of that work was in dairy science. At, at that, uh, during my 
education, dairy cattle genetics. That's the only thing I was interested in. And uh, so I did my PhD uh, in uh, dairy cattle breeding. Then there was an opportunity after I finished uh, to move to the University of Guelph in Canada, which you know at that time and still is uh, one of the major forces in, in our field, uh, animal breeding and genetics. Um, I was employed there as, a, as an adjunct professor, assistant professor, uh, funded by the dairy cattle breeding industry, uh, Holstein Canada and the Canadian Association of Animal Breeding, and then also obtained funding from uh, the federal, uh, yeah, the, the, the Canadian government, um, their NSERC, sort of the equivalent of uh, NIFA here. Um, and so I stayed there for eight years, and then there was an opportunity to um, move to Iowa State, which also you know, always has been a very strong um, group in animal breeding and genetics. Um, the history of animal breeding and genetics actually goes back to Iowa State. Uh, Jay Lush, um, sort of recognized as the father of modern animal breeding in the work at Iowa State from the in the 40s through the 60s. And... Uh, um, so it was a very strong group, and it got us back closer to my wife's family. So um, moved here in '97. As part of that move, um, I also switched from dairy cattle to working on swine, because that's the thing to do in Iowa. A lot of pigs. A lot of pigs. A lot of pigs and chickens in Iowa. So yeah, that's right. And 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 at, by that time, I had, I had recognized that. Uh, um, you know, genetics is genetics, and uh, um, um, you know whether you genet do genetics on, on on dairy cattle or pigs or poultry. You know, you apply the same principles. There's some other interesting questions in those other species also, and then you can do more. And because the generation interval isn't as long, so there's a bit more opportunity to uh, to experiment yourself also. Um, and then when I got here, so as I said, I was primarily, well, I was focused on, on swine, but then I started working with Highline International, who are headquartered here in Iowa, and, uh, and yeah, and interacting with the industry here. And as you said, yeah, especially layers and turkeys, they're, 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 they're huge here in Iowa. So then um, I also started working with, particularly with Highline, started working with them to uh, implement genomics and also started working with uh, Aviagen on the broiler side. Of course, A Aviagen and Highline, they're part of the same Yes, same uh, company. parent company. Yeah, same parent company. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's how I got into uh, into Iowa, where, where, where I am at now. And... Uh, and how I got into uh, also working on poultry. One of AV Vista's core strategies is to give customers the flexibility to do more with less, which is a common theme among many companies and producers in today's industry. As a science-driven company, AV Vista has proven results to help our customers achieve optimal performance using customized programs with our core phytase and xylanase. Excellent. Um, so for, you know, people that maybe, you know, are, are not in your line of work, let's start with just a really, really basic thing. Um, genomics is kind of one of those buzzwords that, that we all hear about. So um, explain it to us like you're explaining to one of your college students, um, you know, how is genomics being applied in terms of, of poultry breeding? 
Yeah, so let me uh, start by talking about um, the sort of the how breeding was applied before genomics, right, and uh, including in, in, in poultry breeding. Um, and in poultry breeding and swine breeding, they're, they're fa fairly similar, is that the breeding structure is like a pyramid with um, at the top you have the, the nucleus lines, the purebred lines uh, that are kept in high health uh, farms, lullaby security, because you don't want infections in those herds because you know, then you wouldn't be able to sell breeding stock from it anymore and maintain the population. Um, but then, of course, you know, as I'm sure most of the audience knows, um, at the commercial level, and then uh, both broilers and, and also uh, uh, layers, it's, a, it's a, typically a four-way cross. So there are these multiplication phases, the you know, great-grandparents, grandparent generation, parental generation, to eventually get to the, the commercial chicks that uh, um, end up in the layer farms and the broiler farms. Um, but all of it, all the selection is primarily driven at the top of the pyramid. Okay? So the, the four pyramid lines that eventually feed into that four-way cross, they are uh, selected within the, these high health farms um, using, you know, a lot of data that is collected. You know, initially, was collected primarily in those high health farms, uh, and then used to uh, estimate their breeding values or their value as a parent uh, for, you know, a, quite a, a large set of traits. You know, in layers, primarily egg, egg production and egg quality, um, and uh, using. Uh, um, the phenotype on the individual itself uh, and, and its relatives. Of course, if you select roosters, you have to rely on the performance of uh, the rooster's uh, relatives. Um, and so prior to genomics, that was uh, all based on pedigree. So you had to record, not just record the phenotypes, but also record the pedigree so you know now, who who is the, the who are the parents of which of the individuals that have the phenotypes? With genomics, um, the main change that has happened is that instead of relying on pedigree, we basically use what are called genomic relationships. Now, so if you if you think of a uh, if you think of uh, hens that are progeny of the same combination of, of sire and dam. Right, so uh, yeah. so those hens are full sips of each other. Based on pedigree, the relationship among them is uh, a half. They share half of the alleles, you know, a quarter from the sire and a quarter from the from the from the dam. But if you genotype these hens for a large number of markers across the genome, genetic markers across the genome then you can actually see, well, what percentage of the alleles do they share or what percentage of the genes do they share? So then we find out that, well, the, this pair of full sips, they share 50% of their genes, but they share 75 or 80%, right? And so the phenotypes of, of, that, of the other full sip tells a lot more about the breeding value of a very, a more closely related full sip. 
so that's how genomics is being used now is is essentially uh getting a, a more accurate um, estimate of relationships among individuals which allows us to use these phenotypes uh, much more efficiently, much more effectively. You can also think about it as, uh, so we have all these genetic markers across the genome, and we're talking about, you know, 10 to 50,000 genetic markers across the genome that these animals, are, uh, these birds are, are genotyped for. You can also think about it that you're basically estimating the effect of each of those markers, right? And then you can see, you can determine whether a particular uh, uh, offspring has received the, the good genes or the bad genes, or how many good genes did it get from its father or its mother, right? That's another another way to think about that. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how genomics is being used by, uh, and it's implemented in most of the breeding programs in poultry now also. So in, in terms of sort of our classic pyramid structure that we think about uh, for, for our primary breeding companies, w with the, 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 you know, adaptation of this technology, uh, I, I would envision that this would allow changes to occur at a much faster rate. Um, we've always had this rule, you know, it takes five years from that elite level to get down to, say, the broiler level of those changes are going to occur. So with um, genomics, what, what, how quickly can our industry adapt? Yeah, so it, it, it actually doesn't affect that timeline from uh, what happens in, at the top of the pyramid to the bottom uh, all that much. What, what it affects is primarily how fast we can change the, 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 pop, the how, how fast we can change the top, the, the the purebreds, right? So the changes so can, up at the at the elite yeah, pure line. Right. Okay. That's right. So they uh, with genomics, you get more accurate selection, and you can also do it faster because you don't have to wait for the hens to have uh, egg production. You can genotype them, um, you know, as soon as they they hatch, right? And and get an estimate of their how good they would be as a potential parent. And of course, that's even more important for the for the roosters, right? For the roosters, you, know, you could wait until you have uh, uh, daughters that have egg production. That takes a long time. Um, you can also, uh, what most breeding companies would, uh, would do before genomics is they would look at uh, the production of the, the sisters of those roosters. But that doesn't tell you a whole lot because you know, the rooster got a different set of genes than those 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 sisters did. So, but but then if you uh, if you can genotype the rooster, you can make an early decision because you know what genes it received, right? And so uh, so yeah, especially on the rooster side in layers layer breeding, where. Um, you know, the accuracy of selection was fairly low because roosters don't lay eggs, no. as, as we know. <laughs> um, and so, uh, especially there, it has helped a lot to speed up genetic gain. And so that's the main change that genomics has given, that the rate of progress uh, at the nucleus level, at the purebred level, has increased. But, of course, that will also result then in a, in, in, in a more rapid change at the commercial level. Your, your, your changes there are just more, you know, pinpoint. 
Um, so in, in terms of like, as you're talking about evaluating that elite level, how many uh, alleles, as you were talking about earlier, how many are they evaluating um, in, in these types of selections? Yeah, it differs a little bit, but uh, typically it's about 50,000 genetic markers. So they basically uh, 50,000 spots on the genome spread across the genome that they're eval- evaluated uh, for. And um, and what has made this possible is um, basically it, it, a lot of it comes from the human human genome right. project, right? The, the 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 ability to genotype an individual for fifty thousand uh, genetic markers across the genome for you know, less than fifty dollars. Yeah, um, right. Even you know ten years ago that would have been a thousand or more. Right. Right, so uh, so the, the the technology was really developed at the uh, at the at the human genetics level, uh, but then provided huge benefits also, making this feasible, cost effective at the um, at the at for livestock. Right, and then of course, you know, if you compare dairy cattle to to poultry breeding, the number of animals that are genotyped in poultry breeding is well, the value of an individual animal is less than that of a dairy bull, right? So, but even in poultry breeding, the cost has come down enough that breeding companies um, can afford um, to genotype in, in their purebred animals and uh, and use that for selection. And, and, and in terms of um, you know, as we're moving into different production systems, I know that this is an area that that you've examined as well. Um, how our industry can uh, select uh, our breeding lines to, you know, improve performance and as we shift to, say, like more cage-free layer production. Um, how is genomics impacting that? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's been a big challenge to for breeding companies uh, is how to um, make sure that the genetics that they're selecting results in better performance at the commercial level, right? And uh, especially, like, as you mentioned, with uh, uh, the wide variety of production systems that we right. now see, right? Yes, so, we want to fill every shelf in the egg case, right? So we want... Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And, you know, consumers, they they demand diversity in that, you know, different, uh, different uh, uh, production systems behind the eggs that they buy. Um, and that's been a real challenge because in these um, in these purebred lines, they tip, especially well layers in particular, uh, they're they're usually kept in single bird cages mm, because right. that then allows you to do individual uh, recording, right? And that's what's needed to make selection decisions. Um, and um, and and that worked fairly well when when most of the commercial production was. Uh, Multi cage, multi bird cage production, right? That that you know, if you select a, a bird that uh, or genetics that does well in single cage, single bird cages, that do, does pretty well also in a, a multi bird cage. But it's quite different when you go to free range aviaries, uh, winter gardens, um, and that's what we call genotype by environment interaction. In that. Um, you know, the best genetics 
in uh, in single bird cages may not be the best genetics for this aviary system or this free range system because there's a lot of other characteristics that start to become important, right? I mean, how they interact with each other. Um, and then if, if top of that, if you get other restrictions on production systems, you know, big framing, you know, then you know, interaction of birds with each other becomes even more important, right? And in single cage systems, you're not able to select for that, right? So, um, so that's been a real challenge. And, and on top of that, also the, um, the disease pressure. You know, and as right. I mentioned, it's very in, different in, the, in those production yeah, systems. Yeah, pure lines. They are they're very uh, biosecure systems, and of course, you can't afford to do that at the commercial level. That level of biosecurity is just not not possible. So, so there's a lot of differences between the environment that uh, birds are. Um, the selection takes place in the nucle- at the top of the pyramid, and what we have at the commercial level. And uh, one way that breeding companies have uh, addressed this is to you know, record phenotypes at the commercial level, right? Uh, uh, they're also crossbreds. That's another difference, right? So collect uh, egg production on individual birds or, or flocks of birds at the commercial level uh, under these different systems. And then use that data to ident- to to identify um, at the nucleus level which birds have the best genetics to perform in that envir- environment. But to do that, you have to track the pedigree from right. the top of all the, the pyramid all the way down, and that's you know very difficult. Uh, and genomics is a solution there because what you can do is you can genotype the commercial birds, and you have their phenotype, and then that allows you to estimate um, what's the effect of this genetic marker or this gene on the performance at the commercial level, right? And then you go back to the to the top of the pyramid, you genotype um, the, the purebreds, the selection candidates, and you can determine whether which birds have the, the largest number of favorable genes or marker genotypes and then select those. So, yeah, so genomics has really uh, been a very important uh, uh, contributor there to allow breeding companies to address this challenge of uh, selecting for the commercial environments. Right. And, and in terms of... Um you know, our, our, our customers and, and, you know, society is, is shifting production in terms of, um, you know, like we were talking housing systems, um, welfare standards. Um, how can genomics help us to, you know, select against things that are maybe natural behavior or select towards things, um, you know, like, I don't know, Leghorn chickens tend to be, you know, fairly cannibalistic. Can genomics improve that? Because as we put them into these different housing systems, like you were talking about, you know, welfare standards may say you cannot do beak trimming. And that's a management um, tool that we use or beak conditioning to try to minimize cannibalism. So is there potential 
of this being applied for selecting, um, I guess, you know, for welfare. Um, yeah. Rates. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that opportunity. Um, and, but it all comes down to um, being able to record the right phenotypes right. right, on the right animals in the right environment. Who, who keeps up with that and how that gets back to the... the yeah, and, and right. so that's, that's the big challenge, right? Because, right. Uh, um, you know, what, what should you record? Um, and, uh, and, and then how do you... And, but then the way to get it back to the purebreds, to the selection decisions, is through genomics, right? So, so genomics is like the, you know, the... I wouldn't say the telephone line, but, uh, no, it's really wireless, right? Wireless connection between the commercial production level uh, and, and individual animals back to the, the purebred so that we can... So, yeah, so if we can record the right phenotypes at the commercial level and then take you know, tissue samples for genotyping, then we can select for, uh, for these improved welfare characteristics and uh, behavior under these, these uh, production systems. And there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there. You know, what are the, what are the right phenotypes to, right. to report? Right. right. Uh, and, and technology can help there also because, you know, with, with, with cameras and sensors right. and so on, there's a lot of opportunity to implement those at, at the commercial level, to be able to track individual birds and their behavior and how they interact with other birds, so there's a huge potential there to uh, to uh, identify new phenotypes that can be recorded at the commercial level, and then through genomics can be used for to make selection decisions at the purebred level. But that's a that's a huge task, and, and but that, there's a lot of people that are, and, and I know breeding companies are very uh, uh, working hard on that also to address that. Definitely, um, it, and I think something that you know you talked about in terms of disease challenges, um, h- how can genomics be used to improve the health of of birds in the field? Yeah, and that's actually something that we work on. Um, Specifically, in, well, in pigs, I, I'm involved in a, a large project um, with collaborators from Canada and seven swine breeding companies uh, because they face the same challenge, right? They, they have this pyramid structure also. And there, what we have done for the last uh, five years is um, set up a natural disease challenge. Um, so in a, in a, a research facility, a research barn in Quebec, uh, they brought in um, multiple diseases, uh, the major diseases, PERS, flu, uh, myco, and, uh, to, to create an environment where there are multiple pathogens, multiple diseases. And then um, every three weeks, a new batch of pigs is entered into that facility. And it's maintained through continuous flow. So rather than all in, all out, which, you know, veterinarians like you tell us we should do, uh, here, here we, because we wanted to ma- maintain the, uh, the, the disease pressure, right? Yes. And so they... You need the older generation to infect the new ones. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, uh, and but it's a, it's a natural infection. It's, it's, uh, it's not controlled. But we're getting very good data out of that. 
Uh, and so that's, that's one way you could uh, collect phenotypes that on, 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 uh, you could do the same thing with birds. And Highline actually have done that with Marek's disease. Right. I know in Legerns, that's a big area of research is Marek's disease resistance. Yeah. So they, every, every generation, uh, birds are, uh, and I think mostly pure, pure line birds are put into uh, a barn where they are expe- infected with the, uh, the most recent uh, virulent Marek's disease virus and then uh, look for uh, report things like mortality or morbidity. Um, so yeah, so that's what we also did in pigs and that's possible in uh, in, in chickens also. Um, so just so I understand the model, the pig model, so the pigs that say, so they're tested for those disease agents and the pigs that would, you know, either recover or the pigs that would stay healthy, then the ge- samples are taken for genomics for those pigs. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so they're not. We are. I mean, we are monitoring what pathogens are present at for the different batches, right? But we're not identifying for individual pigs what they have, right? Because uh, that's no, that's that would be too costly. But we are then recording growth rate, uh, feed intake. Uh, water intake also, and then you know survival and morbidity right. health okay. for health scores. So those are our uh, disease resilience phenotypes, as we call okay. them, right? And then yes, we also take DNA samples for genomics, and so we can we can identify uh, regions of the genome or genes that uh, are associated with survival under that kind of an environment. Okay. The other thing that we are doing there is uh, before they go into this disease challenge, they come from um, pretty uh, healthy farms, clean farms, and they go into a quarantine nursery. And in that nursery, we take a lot of measurements, uh, including doing immune assays, um, look at uh, gene expression, look at uh, protein levels in blood, and the idea there is, um, well, can we identify things that we can measure on young, healthy animals that is predictive of whether they would be um, resilient to okay. a severe challenge like that, right? And that's that's what the breeding companies want, right? Because then right. if we find an immune test that can be measured on a blood sample, right, right. that uh, is very predictive, then they, they can get that... Uh, sample on uh, on their nucleus animals, right? right. And, and, and similar things are being this. yes, similar things are being looked at in, in poultry also. Yeah. So uh, along the same line, uh, I'm also involved in a project in Africa. It's funded by the U.S. Uh, Agency of International Development, uh, working with um, university in Tanzania and uh, in Ghana, and this is led by the University of uh, California Davis. Uh, looking at Newcastle disease. Um, now, Newcastle disease is not a big deal here in the U.S. because we have good vaccines. Right. right? It's devastating in the rest of the world, though. Yeah, because yeah. you know vaccination protocols yes. can can be implemented, especially if you look at the village chickens. Hard to vaccinate the village chickens. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. So the project there was focused on, um, you know, can we breed chickens that are more resistant to Newcastle disease virus? And there we also use a, a natural disease challenge. So what they do is they, they go to the markets and find uh, chickens that are clearly uh, infected with suffering from Newcastle disease. They, they check to make sure it's a velogenic strain. And th- that, that, those birds are then used to, uh, to seed uh, a, a, a flock. Uh, and then uh, infect the flock and then uh, evaluating uh, survival and growth rate and so on. And that's also given, given us some pretty good data on, on the genetics of uh, um, being able to resist Newcastle disease. That would be that would be great. I think there's a lot of, you know, challenges to vaccination in terms of maintaining cold chain and getting them to those small village poultry in Africa and Asia and um, a, a lot of the, you know, countries that s- depend on that. Um, for yeah, that would be that would be really fascinating work. Um, yeah, and then uh, especially uh, and especially. Yeah, especially, uh, you know, it's important, especially for the the women in those villages, because they typically manage the chickens and it gives them some out, some income from selling eggs or chickens. And so it's, it's, a, it, it, it has a huge, I mean, so when uh, um, an outbreak of Newcastle disease goes to a village, it's really, it's devastating. It has a huge impact. So yeah, we, we can do something to, uh, to reduce that impact, that, that would be very valuable. So if you could predict, you know, where all of this technology would lead in the next, say, 10 years, um, where are some, some places where you can see um, similar work applied uh, within poultry? Yeah, well, I think in terms of technology, I think one area where we'll see a lot of um, uh, advances in, uh, in, in phenotyping technology. And I talked a little bit about it already, you know, cameras to track birds, um, sensors. Right. Sort of this uh, biosensors and precision farming. and Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and that, and that, yeah, can lead into, um, you know, making management decisions more precise, right? But also can generate data from commercial birds at the commercial level that can feed back into um, selection decisions. So I think that's that's technology that's developing very quickly and, and is also becoming cheaper and cheaper. Um, so that's technology that's going to have a, have a, have a huge impact. On the genetic side, um, you know, we still, you know, the, the, the chicken was the first uh, after the human was the first um, animal that was uh, sequenced, right? In, I think in 2000, yeah, the whole genome sequence after in 2004, I believe, if I'm correct. Um, and um, and that's, that, that was very, very useful to then find these genetic markers and, gene, and use them for genotyping. But we still... There's still a lot that we don't know about the genome. What, you know, where are the genes? What do they do? Especially for um, traits like disease resistance or disease resilience, right? And uh, and so there's a lot uh, of work that is being done right now to 
to get to know more about the uh, about the genome, right? And 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 use that to make better selection decisions. Uh, right now, it's still in terms of selection, it's still a a, a black box in so, to some degree. Um, you know, we have some idea of which markers may be more useful than other markers, but we still don't know how they work, right? Why, why does it make, um, it does, why does it increase uh, rate of lay or, or other traits? And so getting more to know more about that is, is going to be the other technology that's going to be uh, very important and, and developing fairly quickly. Excellent. It is time to our famous three. Well, I, we, we have a few questions that we normally um, ask around here um, on the Poultry Podcast Show. What, uh, what is some advice that you would give someone who's looking to get into uh, your field of uh, animal breeding and genetics? Um, you, you're definitely a, a small field. Um, so if there's, uh, you know, what advice would you give uh, students? You you probably advise students in your current role. So, what kinds of things do you tell them? Yeah, well, I, I tell them. Well, I tell them my history, right? That that uh, you know, initially, I was thinking of vet vet school, and you know, that would have obviously been been a good career. But uh, you know, I I I, uh, I was kind of forced to uh, take a take a side road, and then you know, decided that 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 was a better fit for me, right? And, and uh, so I think one advice that I give students is, you know, keep, keep your options open because you never know. <laughs> yeah, you never know, you know, what, what, uh, what, what creates that spark in you, right? And uh, um, a lot of students, they are, they're sort of, uh, when, it, when we talk, we talk, you talk about genetics, they, they, uh, they kind of shrug. Right, because they think, well, lots of math, and um, and yeah, there is a lot of math and statistics that we do, um, and uh, uh, but yeah, I think you know statistics is everywhere now, right? And so you can't get away from it. And so I think the other advice I give them is that again, don't don't uh, look at uh, genetics and animal breeding as a as a, a field that you can't um, make a contrib- an important contribution to. There, there are major contributions you can make, and and through genetics you can have a huge impact. You know, if you just think of uh, that rooster that is selected at the top of the pyramid, right? That selection decision that is made, the impact that has that that has down the line, and I, I don't remember the numbers, but you know, it's millions a big of eggs. multiplier, millions. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just the the impact that one decision one selection decision can have um you know that's that's uh that's you no know, in some sense a little frightening but you know it, it illustrates that you can have a huge impact in in our field and there's a huge demand there's a huge demand you know there's there's not a lot of breeding companies but they are scrambling to get qualified people to work in in their business so uh um yeah so it's a it's a so what I tried to share with them is my excitement about the field, and, um, and hopefully, hopefully uh, that sparked something in, in there. But, you know, everybody ultimately have them have to make their own decisions, but uh, there's, there's definitely opportunities in genetics. Excellent. Um, do you have like um, you know? Uh 
a lot of people read, uh, you know, kind of self, self-help or business type books or um, resources that you find useful. Um, any advice, any suggestions for those kinds of things in terms of ha- how you become successful in your field? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't give specific examples, but but certainly, you know, there's, there's there are huge resources there and it's important, especially for our students, and I think for all of us, you know, in there is coming out of COVID, and we're not out of it, right? Um, you know, that's become even more uh, more important to uh, to 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 use those resources, you know, for our own you know, well being, but also, you know, to have have be successful in 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 this very much changed environment where uh, you know a lot of electronics a lot of zoom calls and um, you know and the fast pace of development right keeping keeping you can't keep up with all everything right so you have to build strategies to uh, to uh, select you know what to pursue and I think and that's probably the most important that's been the most important for my career is um, find your network and uh, collaborate. Absolutely, right? and then that's uh, in any field, but certainly also in in research. Um, collaboration is 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 key to having an impact, right? and uh, um, and yeah, and, and companies also. You know, they're they're teams; they're not individual players. Uh, I'm actually we're in the middle of the World Cup now and uh, uh, the Netherlands is playing Argentina this afternoon. Oh, I see. You have your orange on. That's right. That's right. I, I, <laughs> You're I, ready. I, I bleed orange. And then so they, of course, Argentina has this famous player, Messi. Messi. Right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, in the Dutch media that I follow, they, they say, well, you know, you can't win the World Cup with one, one player. It has to be a team. And, and one of the criticisms of the Argentina team is that, uh, yeah, they rely too much on Messi. And he's great, right? But uh, you need the team. It, it definitely important in, in any profession is, is your network and, and the people that you can pick up the phone and, and call, you know, dependably and, and even just to bounce ideas off of, um, like working through research or research problems or, hey, I'm trying to get through this or I have a tough case. And it is definitely critical to build that network. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack, I really appreciate your time today. Um, thanks for everyone for tuning in to the poultry podcast show and we will catch you on the next episode.